Hey everyone, welcome to the last episode of season one of Service and Practice. I'm so blessed and so grateful that you've all joined me on this journey that I started a couple months ago and have continued to listen. I'm really thankful for the support and the feedback. And as I mentioned on the last episode, Service and Practice will take a short break and then come back next year in 2021. And I'm also very grateful to be ending this first season with today's guest, who is Magdalene Sleeman, also known as Maggie, and she has taught me so much about service. She is my own mentor servant, actually. And when I first got the idea for the podcast, I uh, ran to, not really ran, because it was during, um, during the peak of the pandemic, but she was one of the first people that I just had to share the idea with. Aside from being a servant at my church, St. Mark's Coptic Orthodox Church of Jersey City, she is also a guidance counselor at a middle school in Jersey City, and she's working on becoming a professional counselor. Hey, Maggie, how are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to be part of this tool that you have devised for all of us who want to better um, our service for our great God. So, you know, congratulations, Karen, to you for putting this together for us. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you for being here and all the support and advice you've given me in starting the podcast. And also, congratulations on passing your licensing exam for becoming a professional counselor. Thanks. That was a tough one. But <laughs> everyone's prayers carried me through. I definitely felt that throughout the exam. Yes. No, I'm so, so thankful to God and so happy when I heard the news. And I can't wait to see where God leads you. Thank you. Me too. Well, thank you for joining us. We're going to talk today about how in service we must wash the feet of others and what that really looks like. And we've had this phrase, washing the feet, come up, you know, based on the initial act of service that Christ taught us in the Gospel of John. So let's jump into a time machine, if you will. Mm -hmm. What exactly did the washing of the feet look like in the time of Christ? I want to take this back a little to like Homer's time. Um, this very act was uh, adopted actually by the Greeks. Um, and Homer made quite a few references to the act of foot washing in his works. Um, it was an act performed for hygiene, for purification before entering the temples of, uh, to worship their gods, and usually it was performed by a slave. Mm. Um, however, if performed by a friend or uh, the host of the house, as was done here with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it was an act of deep love and friendship. Um, or as you put it before we started the podcast, an outpouring of love. Peter put up a fight and he uh, put up a fight about his feet being washed by the master. And our Lord assured and redefined for Peter what this gesture was all about when he said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Mm -hmm. um, so again, we see our Lord taking an act usually reserved for the lowly and taking it to a whole other level does this a lot in the Gospels. He continues to surprise us by performing very unpredictable and uncomfortable acts to convey love and further bridge the gap between God and man. And he doesn't stop there. He challenges us to do the same and really gives us no excuse being it was he, the master of all, that did this. I mean, he continued in verse 14. He said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And there's a really cool line that comes after that, but I'm going to wait until later in the podcast <laughs> to reveal what that line is. So the timing also, also left us absolutely astonished. 
He tends to do that, our Lord. He surprises us with a lot of things. And timing here, too, is important because you remember this is shortly before he was about to be betrayed. So in my head, I'm sitting in the room and I'm watching him do this because that's what I try to do. I try to sit inside the actual gospel reading. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching this and I almost want to scream in the room, are you serious? (laughs) Are you really about to wash the feet of these guys right here? Do you know the very same feet you're washing are the feet that are going to run the other way very shortly against you? Um, But his foresight. His foresight, I believe, was the drive behind the strength to do such an act. He washed their feet, not pondering on who they are, Karen. Rather, the focus was probably, I'm going to assume, was probably on who they will become. Mm. And I say that because in service, to this day as a servant, and I've been serving for quite a few years, let's not age me, (laughs) I can only hope that I too as a servant am able to set aside what I know of a person And to be able to genuinely and lovingly serve them in hope of what God will do for them. So yes, I wash your feet, Peter, not because you're about to betray me. I see past that. I see what you're about to do for the church in the future. I see the sacrifices you'll make. You know, I wash your feet, John, and I wash each one of them. It's almost like when he, I I would imagine he had to allow that foresight to drive him. Because to just stop there at who they were now, mm. I don't know. That's tough. That's tough to swallow. Um, you know, I don't want to assume for God at all, but I right. just do want to say that in service, that helps me when I look at a person as a person who it's not who they are right now. I mean, of course, everyone comes with their baggage and so on, but who can they become if I allow God to work through me to this person? That's really beautiful. Thank you for opening our eyes to this story in John 13. And it's also beautiful that you say, you know, it's not just about coming as you are, but who you're going to become. Mm-hmm. That's what Christ saw in them. And it's that's that transformation. Mm-hmm. You talked a little bit about, you know, what your, your thoughts were as you are serving. And can you tell us what does washing the feet really translate to it? in our service in the 21st century? And how can we have that mindset of humility when the world around us is really teaching us the opposite? Washing of the feet translates into not hesitating to do the uncomfortable. As he never once hesitated to do the uncomfortable for me or for you. Never once, even up until death. Um, Getting down on my knees when I'd rather be standing. Washing feet when I'd rather have my feet washed. Breaking bread with sinners or far more personal, his betrayers, when it would be far more comfortable to not be be near them at all. Um, Similar to 21st century servant issues, right? Uh, Serving with someone I don't necessarily agree with all the time um, versus me serving with my friends. You know, doing the uncomfortable is a transformational um, event if the servant allows. It's a transformational process that happens in a servant's life. It allows them to grow, to be strengthened in the word in a way that they could never, ever have imagined if they did the comfortable. 
if they did the what's obviously good for them at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Gospels are filled with many more examples of predicaments such as these, undesired and very uncomfortable. And, you know, we don't have to state them because I think the, the one Gospel we're focusing on tonight is it's evident enough, the washing of the feet and what is about to happen to our Lord. He never ceases to surprise me. And I appreciate and adore him for that. Concerning the mindset of humility, through him, humility never looked so good. And we have seen through the stories of the saints and the gospels that the results of humility surpass that of pride. The history of humanity's examples has always shown that one who chooses pride is more likely to fall and fall hard and fall alone. Wow, that's some really, really powerful language there. It's definitely something that we have to be so deliberate about to be humble. Again, in this world that teaches otherwise that humility is looked down upon, Christ showed that. And we have to remember that, you know, what he taught, what he did, that's not dead. That wasn't just 2000 years ago. But no. That was, again, he washed the feet so that he could show the disciples, this is what you must do unto others. And in saying that, he was also saying that it would apply for generations to come. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Another thing that Christ taught his disciples and he really gave the example is that acceptance. So to go back to something we were talking about a couple minutes ago, it's this idea of coming as you are. Yes, of course, Christ is seeing them in their future, but also was with them in the present, knowing what they were about to do, that they were all about to leave him, but he still showed this outpouring of love. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so beautiful because we also, in the 21st century, encountered this idea of accepting or tolerating different ideas, people with differences, and sometimes it can be difficult for us as Christians. Yes, he knelt down and washed dirty feet, but he was also the master of the table. He shared bread with sinners, but he didn't share in their sins. He allowed himself to be judged and punished as a criminal, but out of his immeasurable power and love for us, he resurrected from the dead. What does this all mean? The world uses the terms, like you said, Karen, tolerance and acceptance, whereas Mm -hmm. our God has raised the bar in a very clear way. He says, love one another. He says, I am love. God is love. When I ask, this is to every servant out there, this is a practice that till this day, I try um, to remind myself to put in prayer. When I ask to see people through his eyes, then there's no room for my personal opinion. And I'm left with an unexplainable urge to serve them in love. Sometimes we have to go outside of our comfort zone a little bit, outside of what we're used to, whether it's the people we're we're dealing with, the situations we're dealing with. And can you tell us about some of the times that, you know, in your service, you've been pushed out of your comfort zone? (laughs) Yeah, so I've been the type now to like... You know, God has trained me in such a way where it's almost like he says, Maggie, you better find that uncomfortable spot or I'm going to find it for you. You (laughs) And um, yeah, so some I definitely didn't know what I was walking into and some I knew it was going to be uncomfortable. Recently in one of my classes that I had to do um, in grad school for my license was I had to sit in on an AA meeting and an NA meeting, Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholic Anonymous. Wow, was that an eye-opener. And 
I highly recommend. <laughs> really? For it to be part of like servants prep of every <laughs> church. <laughs> um, I know, you know, this it's people are probably sitting there thinking, what is she talking about? But it was quite an eye opener. So I went in. I, you know, I've seen it in movies. You're supposed to introduce yourself. Hello, my name is. I'm a hello, right? And then they all greet you, hello. And then I'm like, I didn't even think that far. You know, first I'm thinking, where are we meeting? Why are we meeting in a church? Most of them meet in churches, which is pretty cool. Um, I had no idea what I was really getting into. My professor didn't prepare us. They just said, go, right? (laughs) I go in and I automatically assume that the person who came in first with the key was the person in charge. Apparently that person's an addict as well. They're all addicts. No one's in charge. They take turns running the meeting. So I was like, wow. So like no counselor is here. I sat in the circle and someone brought out their knitting um, equipment and they started knitting. And I was like, well, that's rude. Right. And looking around and everyone's doing something, either fiddling with something, looking through a book when we're about to start. And they actually start in a prayer. So all these uh, people from different paths, different walks, if you will, right? We're talking about washing of the feet, coming together in a circle to share their story of addiction and how it haunts them with many of them are complete strangers. I asked and they're not consistent in coming to the group, sadly. And then they started, hello, my name is, I'm an alcoholic, and everyone greets them. I ended up saying, thank God, God really comes to the rescue. He's never going to really put you in an uncomfortable situation and in his name and allow you to mess up so much. So <laughs> so I did say, hello, my name is Magdalene Sleeman. I'm here as a student, uh, ready to learn from all my teachers, which are you. I don't know where I got that from. Okay. And they they looked very accepting of that. Like one of them actually said, hey. And they're not even allowed to respond. You're not allowed to respond to each other in these groups. So that was another very uncomfortable thing because here I am a helper, right? I'm always helping. And if I'm not helping, I'm definitely serving, right? And to me, they're interchangeable at all times. But I just always feel the need to jump in and like hug a person, tell everyone's going to be okay. And then... First person starts and she says, well, I wasn't going to make it today. You know, I had a cord around my neck and I'm looking at her like no one is responding to this girl. Why is no one hugging her? She starts tearing, crying, you know, uh, stuttering over her words. And all I want to do is just go up to her and say, I'm so glad you're alive. No one's doing anything. The knitter's knitting in the corner. Uh, someone's filing their nails. And to me, I just thought this was crazy. Uh, But later on, I realized what that was all about. Um, And I think, you know, to the listeners listening, I think they understand this idea of talk therapy and just me venting about the situation I'm in and finding that I'm not the only one in the group. There's healing in that. And so one woman, Karen, was a mother. And... She looked like me when I was 16, but she's like 25, but she's stuck in like 16. Like you get the bangs, the long hair, the uh, 
long shorts. Like I look like such a tomboy and this woman looked like it. Right. <laughs> and, um, I was like, Oh my God, this, this could have been me like when I was 16. And so she says, uh, Hey guys, you know, I was in drug court before I came here. I was actually not going to come here, but because I was in drug court and God saved me today. Now I didn't even imagine a person like her even saying the word God, like she looked so rough around the edges. Like, and not only that, but a lot of cursing. And I, but she says, but God saved me today. And then she began and she says, a year ago from today, I was behind bars, pregnant, about to give birth to who now is my one-year-old son. And his birthday's tomorrow. Um, we're celebrating his birthday party. And here I was a year later in drug court. And I tested positive this morning for opiates. And I'm looking at her like, how did how did this girl possibly come here today? Like she should, I know what happens at drug court once you test positive and mm-hmm. they're keeping tabs on you. You're not, but she explained the story in such a way where it was only evident that God worked. You know, she even, she even talked about how she was going to escape because she needed to have this birthday party for her son. She wasn't going to let this happen again to her. Um, and at the same time, crying with genuine tears, very heartfelt um, repentance about how she is so sick and tired of being stuck where she is. And here I was as a mother conflicted. I'm like, yeah, how could you? What, what, you know, that, that was me midway. And then towards the end, I found myself like just wanting to be her best friend. Yeah. Like looking at her and saying, I realize that I have so much to learn from her. There was no room for my opinion. I just looked at her through his eyes. I was able to see this broken and contrite heart coming to him and saying, help me. That's very moving. I think it's so crazy that you had that experience. And, you know, like you said, you didn't know what you were getting yourself into. (laughs) It is something that's very unique. And, you know, I, I pray that the the aspects and the things that you learned during your time doing that as coursework also are helpful to you in your service. Yeah, I pray the same. <laughs> Thank you. I need that prayer. And something also, you know, while you were talking, I was thinking about is that, you know, service and social work, sometimes they overlap, mm-hmm. but there is a distinction to be made, right, where you're not just doing the external work, but it, there's also the spiritual aspect, right? Yeah. Service is done in him through him, for him, and the end result is to bring back his people to him. Mm. In social work, I'm usually addressing a person's immediate necessities. In service, I'm not only focusing on the here and now, but the afterlife. I'm focusing on that person's salvation. Actually, Our Lord answers this after he has finished washing the feet of his disciples, just so that our listeners don't think we forgot about. In verse 15, in that same chapter, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, ready? Blessed are you if you do them. In social work, there's confusion about who to thank for the good work after it's done. 
There's the agency, the person on behalf of the agency that helped you. In service, it's always God. Now I say something and it might bother some people out there. And for a servant, a servant should never expect to be thanked. Yeah. It's sometimes very easy to forget that and you know as a servant you know you're working hard you put an event together you covered for someone sure. for Sunday school last minute sure, yeah. you you went on you know five visitations in one week something you know something like that right where you're giving your all and you kind of are expecting to be thanked or to be yeah, recognized a but... merit of some sort <laughs> someone right? say my name somewhere but no that's just not how it goes in yeah it's not what it's about no well, thank you so much for being here, Maggie. Thank this was you. really exciting. And now we're going to end this show, as always, with the rapid fire questions. Oh so my. are you ready? Myself <laughs> All right. So first up, tell us a funny or moving story that's happened in your experience as a servant. So I call this the fountain mayhem. That's an interesting title. Yeah. So you know, we have in St. Mark's Church, you walk in and there's a water fountain. Yes. An aged water fountain. Very aged. You can tell from the fact that it's like actually in a wall. Right? Yeah. You don't see those too often. Um, I was about 16, 17 years old, and it was my first, second year of service. Yeah, they allowed us to serve that early. <laughs> and uh, they gave me something simple. I chuckle, though, after I say this. The nedi. Right? I chuckle because <laughs> there's nothing simple about them, right? Especially if it's the first nedi ever in St. Mark's Church or... I it's, can imagine. It's tough, right? So it's like the second Nandy ever in St. Mark's Street. And they entrusted a couple of us um, who were around the same age to just run it. They said, you know what? Let the younger generation run this summer camp. And we go in and there's a girl screaming by that water fountain. And she says, I see St. Mary. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> St. Mary, I see St. Mary. And then all of a sudden, my kid follows in and says, I see it too, I see it too. I start crying because I was like, I don't see St. Mary. Why don't I see St. Mary? <laughs> like, am I not worthy to see St. Mary? Like, where is she? <laughs> and there were, you know, some deacons thinking, let's go get the deaf and the teriento and let's, let's sing Uxie and do a whole liturgy if we could, right? Like this whole entire praise, tazbeha, whatever. We were just doing it without a priest, and, and we started singing hymns, and someone must have called him. <laughs> he was uh, the resigning priest at that time, yeah. the one serving. And he came in, and he said, everybody upstairs. And I was like, does he see St. Mary? If he doesn't see St. Mary, then I'm in good, I'm in good turn. Because <laughs> I was like so worried about this idea of me not seeing her and some were seeing her. So we go upstairs, Karen, and he taught me so much in so little time. And the question he asks, first he says, what did you see? He allowed the kids to freely speak about what they saw. And he didn't deny anyone. After everyone was done, he says, great. Now, after what you saw, how will this change your life? It's like, wow. See, it's not about what we see or what, what we hear that in that moment sounds great and feels great. How will it direct me back to him? 
How will it change? How will it impact my life in such a positive direction back to my creator? Thank you for sharing. Um, it is very funny. I mean, times have definitely changed, but the, that water fountain is still there. I'm looking at it the same. I have a drink from that fountain. I'm just too, too worried. Reminded uh, every time you walk in there. Yeah, I never got to see St. Mary. <laughs> All right. Well, next question. Can you recommend a book about service to the listeners? So I'm going to give you a book, but, you know, my second answer is really the one that that is um, – it holds – it rains in terms of which book to read. Um, she Loved Much, a sermon by Sandy from, um, it's not a how-to book. I'm not about how-to books. I know some people like these concrete, explicit uh, points written out for them, how to be a better servant. I feel like to be a better servant, there has to be a lot of introspection, a lot of circumspection, a lot of reflection. Yes. And books that help people do that I think that will help me be a better vessel a better instrument um and that of course segues into my answer and that's the gospels Mm -hmm. watching him and I alluded to the idea of sitting in the room sitting at the well sitting on the mount and using all your senses to take in when a gospel writer um, says, and the crowd was whispering. You hear the whispering. You guess, what are they whispering about? The Gospels have taught me more than I can imagine, and continue to. Every time I hear the Samaritan woman, I come out something new. Every time I hear about the four friends with the roof, I every time yeah. I'm thinking something new. I'm catching, I'm taking in something new. My senses pick up something different. I think we only um, use our ears, but um, I encourage our listeners. Yeah, we've heard the ears and heart, um, but I encourage you to use your senses and try to be in that room and in that place, in that time, and take in the story and watching him and hearing him speak. It's a whole different game when you're doing that. Yeah, I'm sure it must really set apart the experience from just, Absolutely. you know, reading it. You know, the, Again, those words are really coming to life like you were talking about earlier. So that kind of leads into the next question. What's your favorite quote or verse about service? Mm. He needed to go to Samaria. John 4, 4. The urgency for just one woman still baffles me. But yet when you see what happens, then you realize... It was well worth the detour. So um, this idea of needing attributed to my God, I don't think it's often that we see that in the Bible. And then when you see the transformation that happens to this woman that was ostracized, forgotten, ignored, and yet not by him, that word needed really stands out and will always stand out for me. Yeah, that, that's very special, very unique. And I know that the story of the Samaritan woman at the well is a special story to you. Very special. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, if you could give one bit of advice to the listeners, what would that be? Mm, to keep listening, right? A good listener makes a good servant. Um, we talked about using your senses when you listen, and that's uh, one step to making what you listen to applicable. Uh, but moreover, be accepting, if not eager, to do the uncomfortable. It really shapes, strengthens, 
And as we saw, the Lord said, blessed are you. It blesses the servant. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Maggie, for being here and for sharing your wisdom, your experiences, and your funny stories. Thank you for <laughs> um, having me. Yeah. Was that the funniest? Or? <laughs> I don't know. You <laughs> listen to all of them? <laughs> I will. Again, Maggie talked today about how we need to wash each other's feet in service and what that looks like on a practical basis in the 21st century. So again, thanks Maggie for being here. It was great to have you. And that's a wrap on season one of Service and Practice. It's been a beautiful, wonderful, sometimes difficult, but interesting journey for me. And I look forward to coming back with season two next year. Please continue to keep the service in your prayer, share with others, and always feel free to contact Service and Practice with any questions or suggestions. Thank you.